Welcome back to another episode of the Sound at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan and am very, very uh, blessed and lucky to be bringing in Chris Henderson, uh, the uh, sporting director of the, of the Seattle Sounders. That's your title these days, sporting director, right? It is, yeah. Vice president of soccer, sporting director. Okay. Whew. I was like <laughs> winging that one. I was making sure I got it. So anyway, welcome to the show, Chris. Uh, it's, it's really an honor to have you on. Um, this is an obviously a very interesting time to be in a front office of, of any soccer team, and I would think of especially of MLS. And let's just kind of get started there. How has this whole, like, what does your job entail these days? I mean, are you still scouting? Are you still reaching out to players? Like, what's, how's, how, what, what's your, your day-to-day life like these days? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously there's no traveling. So scouting uh, live games has stopped. Um, you know, the video, watching players on video has not stopped. Um, myself and the scouts are, are looking at players. Um, emails with, uh, with clubs, with agents, uh, some of the um, sites that we use that connect us with clubs is very alive. And, um, you know, conversations regarding players, regarding what is happening in different countries and different leagues, um, <clears throat> just trying to um, get a grasp of the landscape around the world in, in different places. And obviously everyone's in different positions um, for uh, where they are in relation to COVID-19. Um, and then it, it was a good chance for us as a staff um, to work with the coaching staff, to work with the scouting department, the analytics, with Garth and, and Sean, and be able to um, um, redefine our player profiles. Um, we brought in Chris and, and the Defiance staff and the academy staff. So now everything is in line and under the same format from the academy through the first team, uh, which is really helpful. Um, so, you know, it's down to performance demands. It's, it's um, uh, technical comparative analysis, um, you know, by position. And that really helps us when we're going to do depth charts and we focus on the positions that we need. Uh, we know which players we're looking at and which players will fit in and at least check most of the boxes for us. So it's, it's been busy and that's, that's beyond, uh, you know, Zoom calls with other yeah. directors. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like in some ways that this has maybe been an opportunity for you to like just organize in ways that I don't, I don't know if because in a normal off season, I would imagine you don't necessarily have the, the air and the space to say like, well, we, we can't sign anyone now. So we may as well use this time in these ways that we maybe have always thought of using them. Yeah. Jeremiah, it was a good, it was a good time to work on certain projects. And one of those was um, we've always talked about comparing leagues and, you know, there's, there's new uh, software out there that helps compare leagues and they have their own rating system. So digging into that deeper, using Ravi and, and um, um, the rest of our, our staff to be able to um, figure out how MLS compares to leagues in Europe and South America and leagues that we're scouting in all the time. Um, and that will help us um, on both um, buying and selling players in the long term. So, um, you know, this, this time really um, has helped us connect that way. And it's also a, a way that we can connect our staff in just getting to know each other better. We have a few new people in there, some people who've come in the last couple of years. So um, I think it's really important to understand who they are and where they come from. And, and I think you, 
overall you work better together when you have that. You know, one of the things that Garth has said a few times recently, uh, you know, especially after Joe Paolo was signed and after uh, uh, Yamar was signed was that these were kind of the big pieces that the team was planning to add. And he kind of implied that there was a certain doneness to the roster that maybe we hadn't seen in previous years because, you know, you, you guys had made kind of the decision to, to put it, put your money up front with a chance to maybe go for a CONCACAF Champions League uh, title, which in hindsight maybe was, uh, you know, it, it's like best laid plans, right? Uh, and that even to do with, like, it looks like that tournament isn't even going to get finished this year. But um, in any case, does that, I don't know, does that in some ways, is it particularly opportunistic now? I mean, does that work into your favor that you already kind of were looking at a set roster? And so this time you're able to use to kind of, you know, use more efficiently than if you had come into this and said like, oh man, we were planning on making our big signings in July. And now we don't know what the July transfer window looks like. Yeah. That, I mean, it's a good question. There's a lot of parts to that. So I, I think first the, um, you know, when we're signing a player in the summer, we're evaluating our own team leading up to that. And obviously we have targets that we had, had followed and, you know, we're trying to get the deals done. And, you know, as you get closer to summer, most of it is just negotiating and trying to get everything over the finish line. Um, but, you know, when you have the player signed in the, the winter, um, you kind of know uh, what you're going at the season with and you have a preseason to one, the coaches get a chance to really get to know the players and they can, they can make little tweaks on how we're going to play. So I think, you know, for Brian and his staff, I would think that's a positive. Um, so, um, you know, I think it's important for us to be able to evaluate our team constantly to be able to see where we need to add going in. And obviously, we look at things, um, you know, from my perspective, from Gar's perspective, uh, we're looking at maybe more medium long-term planning, um, you know, whereas the coaches are more, let's get the results, the short-term, you know, whether it's a tournament, uh, CONCACAF, and then going into the league, there's some, you know, sometimes some different thinking there. And so being able to balance that and keep everyone happy with the group, I think, I think we're in a place that we have uh, a really good group of players who can compete um, to win again. Um, <clears throat> but it's important for us to, um, to make sure we're all on the same page and, and working in the same direction. Do you get a sense that, you know, doors that maybe weren't open before or doors maybe that you never even thought of knocking on are worth knocking on now? I mean, is that, have we seen that sort of change or is it too early to say that, uh, how how big this whole kind of disruption has been in terms of the way the transfer market's going to work. Yeah, and, and going back to your previous question, the one thing I wanted to say is like with with Yamar and Jao Paulo, uh, when you sign players, you know we've only played a few games, and and I think they both had great starts, but you never really know uh, until you look back after six eight months whether the signing was a good signing. So I, I think having some patience with new players is always important, at least from, from our perspective. Um, you want them to come flying out of the gates, but um, I think for me, it's more consistency and helping us win games. So that's important. Um, it's kind of a strange thing when you look at um, opportunities and different leagues around the world and what's happening. And um, 
you know, we just started uh, voluntary individual training and workouts and, you know, some teams are ahead of us by one or two weeks. And so uh, I, I almost look at it as, okay, here's where we're at as a team. Um, players are excited just to get back on the field. Um, so it's small steps for sure. Um, but, you know, with our scouts and, and our group, our analytics group, we're trying to do all the things we have done previously to keep the routine, keep the conversations. For me, it's about relationships. So the relationships with clubs, the relationships with the people we use in scouting and rely on uh, agents that we're talking to, <clears throat> that's where we get a feeling of what's going on around the globe. And, you know, it, it's just like signing a player. Time will tell on what the market looks like when we come out of this. Um, but you can, you know, you can take some guesses of, of, of what's going to happen. I mean, obviously, uh, MLS has recruited in the Americas um, for quite a while now. So I assume that will stay constant. Um, and then we'll see what comes out of Europe. But I, I just want to make sure we're consistent in our processes. Um, and I think that's what Garth is good at, at um, working with the group to make sure we have a, a constant process and we stick with it. So you came into this team as uh as an expansion team the staff was relatively small and it's evolved into what is probably you know if it's not the premier kind of front office staff in in mls it's it's right up there um and it's in it's elaborate and it's and it's kind of expansive but i don't know that people really know how the inner workings look they, they know you they know garth Maybe they know Ravi and, and some people like that, but what does the, like, how has the, your department kind of changed over the, the years from when you first came in and um, you know, and, and how does it, how, how do you imagine it continuing to change? Yeah. I mean, thanks. Thanks for the words about our organization and the club. And, you know, I know from us as a staff, we were only comparing with ourselves and how we are doing and how we can get better and improve. Um, because the minute you start looking at someone else and comparing, that's when you get past. So I think we have a really uh, smart group of people who are hardworking and dedicated. Um, you know, when I started in 2008, it was one team. Uh, there was no reserve team. The academy hadn't started until 2010. So, um, you know, the focus was on building that team and, and, um, you know, the coaching staff was there with Siggy and Brian and the assistant coaches and, and Adrian and I were kind of working together, him as the GM owner. And um, uh, I was supporting him uh, in the daily. And um, as we added our academy system, as we added S2 and later Tacoma Defiance, it started to grow and it seemed like it grew really fast. And um, as we watched other clubs around the world adding performance directors and, you know, adding analytics people and, it, you know, it started to grow and, and we found that there was a lot of value in, in adding into all these departments. And we've been fortunate to have some really good people come that um, we can all learn from each other um, in each department. And, you know, we've lost some along the way who you know, they went to better experiences for them and, and personal development. Um, but I, I feel like every time someone left, they left with good feelings about working with the Sounders and, and um, they would, you know, I would think they'd want to come back at some point. But, um, you know, now it's, it's about 
um, trying to make sure our communication among all these different departments is, is good. And that can be lost really easily. And, um, you know, whether it's, whether it's weekly meetings, whether it's stopping someone in the hallway and say, hey, what are you working on? And a five minute conversation can make a big difference. And uh, when you get into a pro sports club, everybody wants to have an impact and, you know, obviously do something to help the first team players because it's all about the players and to support the coaching staff and the, the support staff. So um, that bringing that value and, and uh, people feeling like they're contributing is really important no matter what team they're working with. And so do you, is your job still to be like a on the ground scout where you're like delivering the first words on, on the, you know, your opinion on a, a potential player or are you more removed from that? Are you kind of, putting in the last set of eyes and like, I don't just explain your, how you, where you fit into that. Yeah, I think, um, I think now it's a little bit more of uh, the people, our connections and our scouts who are working under are doing a lot of the uh, initial filtering um, and especially the filtering on, on our Y scout or instead or the, the video systems we use. Um, so that part is really important because a lot of time is spent on narrowing, making lists, making depth charts, um, uh, different price points, different uh, um, uh, categories, player positions. Uh, all of that, getting that uh, established is really important. And then it's about going out and seeing the players and meeting with the players, meeting with the clubs, um, um, getting information about um, you know the character of the player and the mentality is really important. But um, I just enjoy scouting so much. So there's sporting directors all over the world who maybe don't, don't, don't get on the ground as much as I do. But I think the way the league is going, these relationships are going to be so important and they are so important to getting deals done. I mean, you just want to be the person that they pick up the phone and call you first. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's happened in the past with us with Moro Rosales is a great example. Uh, uh, Gonzalo Pineda, great example. Jimmy Triori, great example. Uh, where we got the call first and we said, yeah, let's bring them in. And um, so that goes to trust and relationships. And I think that's where, you know, I try and, I, I try and talk to our, our group working and in and, and player recruitment and say, don't ever take that for granted. And, you know, what's interesting is that at the same time, well, I would imagine those personal relationships are maybe as important as they've ever been. There is this aspect that we hear about all the time, and that's the, not just the, the number analytical part, but like the, the availability of video and pro, you know, you mentioned Y Scout and things like this that are available to not just people like yourself, but like, I mean, I can go out and get a Y Scout account and I can you know, it, maybe I'm not going to get the same depth and I obviously don't have the, the knowledge to apply all that, but like, how do you feel? There's so much, I guess my point is there's so much more information out there and there's so that you can access and that you can use. And, you know, I, I'm just curious how that has changed, you know, the availability of that information has changed your job basically. 
Yeah, it's, it's been a great one. There's a lot of tools out there that we can use to compare what we see with our eyes and, and uh, interviews we have. So uh, we value that. Um, ha having Ravi and his staff involved is, uh, it helps verify a lot of what we see. Um, I think Garth does a good job of kind of organizing all of it as we start to sit down and, and sift through things. Um, and, uh, you know, as we start to narrow down things, we will send, uh, uh, send it over to Ravi to do a bunch of comparisons. And there's also a lot of software out there. You know, uh, Sports is an example of, uh, you know, they compare players, compare leagues. Um, there's, there's tons of sites out there that will have their own rating system. So, you know, we, we will check those just to see, okay, how did we compare these guys? And then let's check the numbers. Um, and then, you know, as I said, Robbie's the expert, so we will take all the criteria he has that are important for our club and they go along with the player profiles. And then we also have the fitness data, mm -hmm. which is another, the physical co component, which is another uh, great one for us because sometimes you get and the guys are so close to each other and you have to make a decision which one you're going to go for because everything maybe is even. Um, you know, maybe that pushes it over because of the demands of the position. So a lot of that um, data goes into the player profile as well. And so does that kind of stuff lead the conversation or is that more stuff that you are kind of checking, like you narrow down the list, you identify the players you want or whoever, like the humans in the process are identifying the people that they want. And then and then you use the, these kind of more analytical tools to narrow it down from there, or are those, or, or can it go both ways where they're kind of a discovery tool? I think it can go both ways. Uh, when, it for, when we first started adding a lot of these analytics, I wanted to see them and then, okay, I'll use the analytics to say, okay, I made a good choice. Everything works here. Um, but um, as time has gone, there's been some players that have been sent uh, through Ravi and others to say, hey, look at the numbers on this guy. Mm. And we start to watch him. I'm like, oh, I saw that guy live. I liked him. Um, or, you know, it triggers some, some bells for you. So um, I, I think it can go both ways. I think uh, as long as everyone is willing to um, put in that information, the more information we can gather and sift through and then narrow down, um, that's the part of the process that has to be refined. And um, I think you can make some really smart decisions that are going to be, um, you know, long-term decisions for the club or, um, you know, where you're, you're cutting out mistakes, I would say. You know, I was, I was sitting in on this. Uh, the Sounders actually hosted the, a statistical conference, uh, analytical conference the other day. And Billy Bean, I happened to sit in on Billy Bean's thing. And he was kind of talking about the, the marriage between the art and science of player identification. And, and I think it's easy sometimes to, to look at that and say like, well, it's all become kind of a science and it's just about crunching numbers and there's no nuance left. But really that, that seems to be in some ways, the more science we get, for lack of a better term, the more science and math that we bring into this, in some ways that makes the art aspect of it even more important because that's how you separate yourself still like the elite teams still need to figure out how to like you can every if everyone has access to all the best information the people who sift through that information are now going to be the like that have the art of sifting through that information are going to be the teams that continue to succeed um and i and i guess how like as someone for like yourself who comes i would think from a more traditional 
kind of talent analysis background, how have you kind of man? how you seem like you've done a very good job of managing that. And I'm just curious, like how you, how you've gone into it. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I actually completely agree with Billy that it's art and science. And I, I think that, um, it goes also with building organizations. You can't hire people who all think the same way. You have to balance with the creatives and the, the scientific and the analytics. And I, I think getting a balance of those personalities often make a good organization. Um, and I think it's the same thing when you're scouting. You have to have different types of people looking for players. And when you all come into a room and you talk about it, uh, it's important to be able to listen to everyone and their opinions and what, and what's the information behind it. Because as you said, there is so much information out there and you can gather this information, but you have to get specific on what information is important to your club and what is in what for, for a central defender, what are the important numbers that you need in the way we play? And it's different for every team. I think in the league, they have their own uh, values that, that are important to them. Um, so I think that um, that balance between art and science is important, and um, it's it really comes down to respect. You have to respect the people, and then at the end of the at the end of the conversation, somebody has to make the decision. Um, and at our club, usually it's been a, a group of three, um, whether it's the head coach, uh, the GM, and the sporting director. We we kind of make the decision after we gather all the information. Are there players that you? I mean. I'm guessing that you don't end up in a situation where you are forced to make a decision without the information that you want. Like you, you, I, I, from the sound of it, you're able to have the, you know, the data as well as the visuals, as well as the input from, you know, everything else. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the only factor you have to have is, is with scouting things can happen really quickly. You could, a, a deal could present itself that you, you have tracked a guy for a long time and then it fell apart a year or two ago. And then all of a sudden it's live again, you know, maybe three windows further forward and you've spent all this time narrowing the list of players, but now this guy's added and hmm. he can maybe, he might be a different position, but he can change your team. So you have to be adaptable and pliable and flexible because you never know when those things are going to pop up and you have, to, you have to be okay with that. Um, and some people are, are, it's easy to go on change and, and quick reactions and other people need time and they need to evaluate. Um, but I have found that if you evaluate and take too much time in scouting and uh, recruitment, you'll lose the player every time. You know, a, you know, if it's a good player, a, a mm -hmm. club will, they'll say, we're not selling them. Another club will come buy them from under you. Um, and many times you start ticking down your list and you're at your eighth guy on the list. Who's now number one because you've lost players. And are there, I mean, and I guess that kind of gets to this idea that sometimes the, the best thing you can do is, is, is just not do anything, right? I mean, I, I would imagine there are times where, you know, I, I know as a fan, we sit here and we, you know, we'll, the Sounders will go through a window or two and not make a signing. And there's this frustration of like, God, can't they just get someone in here? But at the same time, it, it seems like if you trust your process, sometimes you have to trust it enough to just say, we aren't going to sign anyone. 
Yeah, and I wish I could give you some of the names of players that I'm glad, I'm glad we did not <laughs> sign. Like, we were tracking somebody and his career just went downhill and we, we didn't get the deal done for one reason or another. And then there's, there's plenty of players that we were going for. Um, you know, I mean, there's, there's, it's obvious that we have discovery lists and, you know, we've discovered players who are doing great in the league. Diego Valeri is an example. Almiron, Joseph Martinez, you know, you think, ah, that guy could have been wearing a Sounders jersey. But, you know, we're with, with the players we ended up signing in the same windows, we're so happy with the players we have here and they fit our team and our group. So, um, you know, like I said, that's, that's part of the flexibility you need to have. And there are times where, you know, maybe we didn't sign someone in the window and it was for the better because it, it propelled the player who was in that position. And now he gained all this experience and he's a key player for us. You know, I, I just, I feel like I'm going to, I'm going to regret it if I don't ask. I think you, did you mention Joseph Martinez was one of the players that was on your discovery list? Yeah, he was on our discovery list. Yeah. Oh, because I was like, we've heard, I know we'd heard of Diego Valeria. We, we knew Miguel Almiron. I don't know. I had never heard that Joseph Martinez was another player that you guys had on your discovery list. Yeah. I mean, there's, and it's, I think it's that way for a lot of teams. There's, there's a lot of great players who have come through discovery list and then a team buys them off the, off their list or for one reason or another, they drop them off and, and add someone else. So uh, I think it's pretty common, but um, yeah. And it just happens. And you just hope that you end up signing the right players along the way to, to make your team successful. But there are some players um, that I think about that we tried to get once and then we ended up getting them later. You know, Nelson Valdez is a player we tracked for a long time. We ended up getting him later. Uh, Ivan Schutz is a guy we tracked and got him later. Uh, uh, Freeberg's a guy we tried to get, uh, ended up going to Italy. You know, so, so those things happen where you just – just keep your eyes on players and watch them and see how they do. Yeah, no, and it, and it seems like it's worked out okay for you guys. All thing, I guess it's a, and that's, I guess that's got to be a, that has to be a kind of a feather in your cap that you know, for as good as you guys have been, uh, and as many players as we even publicly know about that you've gotten compensated for that that went elsewhere in the league and have been good elsewhere in the league, uh, that you're still. It's not like you're missing out on all the good ones and 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 not pushing the ones you want across the line. It seems like your hit rate is as good as anyone's. Um, yeah, and you're not going to get all of them right. And uh, that's why I think it's important just to, to make sure you put in the, the hard work and, and everything behind the scenes and at least try and, uh, try and feel like you're making a good decision at the moment. Because like I said, you'll look back and then you'll make a decision whether it was good or not uh, later on. Uh, but as long as you go through the same process and you work through it, I think that's the important part um, because in this business, you never know. And I think it's about the group of players, sometimes not just the individual um, that can win championships. Well, I wanted to transition a little bit and talk about you. I uh, talk about kind of how you ended up here. And amazingly, you, I think people know that you're a local boy. You grew up here. Uh, you, uh, you, you played for the Seattle Storm. I think it was Seattle Storm, not Seattle FC. Yep. Either Seattle or Seattle Storm. But in any case, you very much a, a local family. People know you. Uh, you never had a chance to play for the Sounders. Uh, but uh, how did you – like, I don't know that I've ever heard the story of how you ended up on the staff in that 
inaugural year? Yeah, it was, uh, I retired in 06 uh, from Red Bull, New York, and then um, uh, had a chance to go coach uh, in Kansas City uh, with the Wizards. Um, my teammate from the Olympics, Kurt Anolfo, was the head coach, and Peter Vermes, my teammate from the national team, and a couple club teams uh, was sporting director, well, technical director. He's the first technical director in the league. Um, so I had a chance to watch uh, Peter really closely, um, and I did a lot of scouting for that team. And um, I, I really enjoyed that year, and I thought it was, uh, it was helpful in my development, not only uh, understanding the coaching side of it, but also how teams were built. They had new ownership. They built a new facility. There was a lot of similarities to what I was faced with in 2008 with the Sounders. Um, so it was great preparation. And then I was uh, in talks with the Colorado Rapids. Um, they were going to hire a sporting director. Um, and as those talks, they started to take time. I started talking, uh, Sean was playing, my brother was playing for the Sounders and talking to uh, Adrian and said, hey, I think the Sounders might start to think about doing something, you know, in the next months uh, to prepare for next year. Um, you know, so Adrian and I started talking and we had a chance to um, spend some time together and, and I really got an understanding of, of what things were going to be like. It was a chance for me to come back home, be close to my you know, my, my family, my parents, um, and, you know, from about, you know, 18 years old on, I had been away, away from Seattle. Um, so it was, it was a real chance to come back and, and bring my family back here. Um, and, you know, I could tell the setup was going to be really good. Uh, there were some really, uh, good, smart people, um, and it was going to be big. Um, so, you know, we, we ended up working through things in January 2008. I started working and, um, you know, most of it was video and, and watching and pre just preparing for the expansion draft. Um, and, you know, we obviously had a chance to sign players to the USL team that Brian uh, Smetzer was coaching. And we added, Lat you know, Latou was in there, um, who was added to the MLS roster, uh, Santa Niasi, uh, Roger Levesque, Taylor Graham. Uh, Zach Scott, um, yeah, the list goes on of players who, you know, were, were preparing for that step down the loss. Yeah, and so how was, you know, how was that process? Was it, was it something that was, like, you're kind of inventing the wheel in some ways. I mean, I, I realize, like, lots of other teams, lots of MLS teams had existed at that point, but not in the way that they exist now. I mean, it was a very different landscape. And, and in a lot of ways, you guys were kind of building out something that was a little bit more expansive than a lot of teams were working with. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we had the USL team, so we were lucky there um, that we were able to try some guys out. Um, so that, that helped because you knew you had a few guys who were going to help with the culture. And for me, the culture part of it was a key part of it because um, this is a really, for me, this is a really special place and the fans are special and to be able to um, connect with the fans and have players who knew the history, um, have coaches who were involved who knew the history. Um, I knew the history. Adrian knew the history. Um, you know, Gary Wright and the, the Seahawks people. You know, that part is really important in, in building something. And, um, 
you know, then, then it was about trying to uh, have a plan of how we we're going to build it beyond the expansion uh, draft. Um, and having a good goalkeeper was really important. So, you know, to be able to bring Casey Keller back, um, I knew we were going to have a good foundation there. Uh, just his leadership and experience and, you know, starting out a new franchise with them. Um, and then, you know, Freddie, Freddie Yunberg was in the conversation. Um, he was one of those guys who just had to get his body right. Uh, but he was really important to us uh, in getting the playoffs that first year. And then the scouting uh, that we had done going to Columbia several times uh, to watch Freddie and, and JK and, um, uh, you know, some of the other additions we were able to add. But I think we kind of built it piece by piece. And then you looked at it and you're like, hey, we're going to have a gonna have a solid team. Um, and then it was just about building the, the character and, and Ziggy coming in, obviously. Was there one signing that you felt like kind of either unlocked the puzzle that allowed it to kind of come together the way it was or kind of was almost like a make or break signing for that team? I mean, the fact that you guys came two points of the supporter shield, I suppose, suggests that there wasn't just one player, uh, that it was pretty collective effort. But at the same time, I, I would imagine there had to be one piece in there that at least kind of made it feel like it fit, fit all as one cohesive thing. Yeah, I think, well, I would say Casey and the two Freddies. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, it just go through the spine of the team. Freddie scoring goals, Freddie in midfield, Casey in the back. And then you had a bunch of experienced guys also who were journeyman players who you knew you could throw in there at any time and they were going to do a job. And uh, I think that balance we had was, was really good of, of guys who could be experienced and make the difference. Um, and I think the expectation of the club was to have success right away and of the fans. Um, and I think um, if you go into things questioning, you're going to perform that way. You have to go in with a, a humble confidence um, to be able to have success. And I think that group had it and they had leadership who had it as well. Uh, and so do you look back on that? team i know you've mentioned that in some ways you're envious of the current uh expansion teams because they kind of come in with resources that frankly were probably unimaginable to uh to to what you had but uh i don't know what it, what are some of the 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 challenges and and i don't know do you do you look at the way teams are coming in and go man that would be that would be fun to try it now with you know $10 million of allocation money or whatever it is that we get. <laughs> yeah, I mean, first I have to say that we have been really lucky with our ownership group because whenever this club needed something, they have been supporting all the way. So I think that has been, uh, we've been blessed with that. Um, we've been able to build some really good teams. And uh, I do look at other teams uh, coming into the league and, you know, some of the resources they've had, not only from the ownership, but from, from the league and helping get a team started in a new city. And, and I get it. It's important to have a, a team that fans want to come and see. Um, um, so, but don't get me wrong. You can make mistakes, whether you have the money or not. And we've seen that happen plenty of times. And, um, you know, I don't think there's a magic formula, but um, it does make things easier to build a team when you have uh, financial resources, for sure. 
You know, and we, I think it was re- pretty widely reported that you were among the, the people that were considered for that inner Miami job. Um, how, where does that kind of sit with you in terms of like wanting to be a chief soccer officer in, in the league? Is that something that you're aspiring to do? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I love my job. I love being sporting director of the Seattle Sounders, my hometown club. I love it here. Um, it was a great experience for me to go through that interview process. Um, and, you know, it came down to two of us. And, and I think, um, you know, maybe it, it, it wasn't the right uh, situation for me, but it was, um, I learned a lot going through it. And um, being able to think in a different way on how you build something else in a different environment, in uh, everything new, uh, it makes you reevaluate what you're doing in your with your current job and how you can do things better and different and being able to communicate in a different way and work with people. Uh, I really felt like it was um, uh, a personal development trip for me and, and um, yeah, an experience I, I, I would do again, just the experience to get what I, I, I feel like I brought back to the Sounders. Great. Well, um, one other thing, I just wanted to kind of pick your brain about this. Uh, last week, uh, Frank McDonald, someone you, you know uh, well, I'm sure, uh, wrote a piece for us on Center at Heart about kind of imagining what if uh, Seattle had joined MLS in those in- inaugural years. And he uh, thought it would be kind of a no-brainer to, to have you on that team, obviously. Uh, but I also kind of thought about that um, in a few different ways. One of them was, a, had you ever, like, do you, how much have you thought about, like, missing out on that chance to actually play, to put on a Sounders uniform? Um, but B, like, I came away from that story feeling like it's hard to argue that the Sounders probably aren't in a better place now than they would have been if they had kind of trudged through those first 13 years of, of MLS. Yeah, wow. There's a lot. That's a good question. There's a lot there that, uh, yeah, it's unfair to put all that in one question, but there I'll let you was, with it. Just, you know, being a player that, that went through all those early years of MLS, there was some, there was some tough years that, uh, you know, I didn't realize as a player they were tough years for the league, but when you hear stories and you talk to people after the fact, you realize that maybe two, three owners were keeping the league alive around 2000, 2001. Um, teams were contracting. Um, it was, it was pretty unstable and, um, I would have hated to see Seattle have to go through that because, you know, I was 11, 12 years old. And the, the day I saw that the cosmos folded, I was like, oh, this is not good. And, you know, you know, just, you know, the joy of going to the NASL Sounders as a kid and, and having those players to aspire to be, um, so, um, I think, it would have been, it would have been great to come home and, and play for, for my hometown club at a, at a, actually a good age. Um, you know, for me, my, my low thirties were my best years. Um, so, you know, that, that would have been fun to have my parents be able to come and see all my games. Um, that would have been great. But, um, I, I think, uh, when we came in, how we came in, uh, in 2009, I think it just fit perfectly. Um, and it's, you know, it's obviously been a great run for us. Um, we've been consistently competitive every single year. 
And that's really important to be able to say, we have a chance to compete every year. And, you know, some years you're going to win it. Some years you're not, not going to win it, but you know, things bounce your way and you have to have guys healthy and, um, you know, keep working for, uh, for excellence every day. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting to look back and, and do what ifs and, uh, you know, I enjoyed that story. I thought it was, I thought it was a good one. Well, it was, it was fun for me to read as someone who kind of came to Seattle. I, I moved to Seattle in 2009, which obviously was a very good time to move to Seattle, but uh, it was just kind of a fun thing to, to think about those what ifs. And, and it was, it was kind of remarkable also to be reminded of how much soccer history is here and how like there was a robust collection of local talent that would have been that was around here in the in the mid 90s i mean you look at those those a league teams that that actually won a couple titles in those early years were like tons of players from around here players that are still involved in the organization marcus hahnemann is a just a kind of glowing example but uh guys like that that um i mean it's it's remarkable to me the the amount of soccer history is here and in some ways it's it's equally remarkable that somehow it took until 2009 for MLS to come to Seattle, given all that. Um, and it's especially funny to think you look at that 94 U S national team game against Russia uh, at the kingdom, 40,000 people, which was kind of an unheard of thing. Uh, really. I'm just curious, what was that like for you to, to show up and have your hometown 40,000 people inside like that was just like in 1994, that wasn't a thing that happened to the U.S. national team. Yeah, it was, it was so fun to come home and play here because, you know, in my first game for the national team, I think was the beginning of 1990, maybe January 1990. And we'd always go to someone's hometown and play. We'd be in St. Louis or you'd be in New Jersey, New York, D.C., all these games and it's somebody's hometown. And I'm like, when are we ever going to go to Seattle? And that was the game. And it was, um, it was such a good feeling, you know, with my teammates all saying, ah, it's beautiful here. This is a great place. And, you know, I can't believe the crowd and, you know, the excitement from the team um, and just the excitement as we're, we were building up to 94. And then I was just so proud of our city and so proud that we were able to play that game and being like, yeah, this is where I grew up. You know, it's, it's soccer's big here. You know, and, and that was a really good feeling. And um, I think the team performed pretty well that day. And um, it, was, it was a fun atmosphere. Um, so we finally, finally got that. We didn't, yeah. get a, didn't get to come home and play in the league, but at least they had, had a, a national team game at home. Yeah, well, it was fun for me to re go back and re kind of relive that and just kind of be reminded that it's like, no, the crowds didn't come out of nowhere for Seattle, uh, for the Sounders in, in 2009. Like these... These people were supporting soccer for, for a while. But, yeah. um, Chris, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, this was a lot of fun for me. Hopefully it was a good escape for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, and now I have kids showing up to uh, <laughs> remind me to be a parent again. But yeah, uh, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks, Jeremiah. It's great talking to you. Yep. Uh, you're okay. listening to the Sounder at Heart podcast.